0: I was walking into Walmart one day this week, and as I was walking into the store, I saw a uh, mom, and she had two kids. She had her uh, younger kid in her arm. Her older kid was standing behind her, about nine years old, uh, I guessed, nine or ten, and there was a dad. The dad worked at Walmart. I picked up on that because he was wearing a Walmart tag. So he worked at Walmart. And as we walked in and I saw them, the dad working at Walmart, here's the mom. Uh, The mom is giving him the rundown. And she said, and she was pointing her finger, and she had had enough. And evidently, it required a pit stop to see dad at Walmart. Walmart. And she said, and he's doing this, and she's doing this, and she won't leave him alone, and he's doing this, and I just brought him here to see you. I thought, I bet this guy is thrilled. (laughs) I mean, he's absolutely thrilled that in the middle of his day at Walmart, here comes his wife because she's had enough of the kids, and at least she's going to bring them to see dad. How many of you have ever heard the expression, wait till your dad gets home? Raise your hand. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, you've heard that expression. You know, and and, and honestly, for dads, it has to be terrible. You've you've been away, and then you come home only for your wife to meet you at the door. This is what's happening. You've just got to take care of it. You know, she's had enough. Well, it's interesting. Paul, in this letter to the Corinthians, gets to the very end of the section. This is the end of the first section of the letter. And at the end of this section of the letter, he ends it by saying... Wait till your dad gets home. I mean, literally, that's what he says, and we'll look at that in a moment. But he is addressing the division that has arisen among them as they prefer him over Apollos, or Apollos over Cephas, or Cephas over Paul, these factions. And Paul has spent now four chapters, a large segment of this letter, dealing with division. And division is a significant problem, and unity is a hill that we die on as a church. It's in our covenant as members of this church that we are committed to be in a unified body of Christ. That we are committed to those practices that help us to be one as a church. And we have seen over this series that unity isn't uh, unanimity. It doesn't mean we always agree. It, It doesn't mean that it's uniformity. We don't all look alike. Unity is union. It is the reality that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. As a matter of fact, I learned something this week that in all of my years of studying Scripture, I've never known about Paul. Paul never uses the word disciples. He never refers to people who follow Christ as disciples, which was Jesus, one of Jesus' favorite terms. When Paul talks about uh, discipleship, he puts it in a family context. He says to Titus, uh, address the older women as mothers, the older men as fathers, one another as brothers and sisters, and here he will refer to himself as the spiritual dad of these people. He'll say, I'm your spiritual dad. So let's look at that for a moment, and we're going to discover three qualities of spiritual dads, and we'll answer two questions at the end. Number one, spiritual dads discreetly warn. Paul says in verse 14, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to call you out in front of everyone to embarrass you. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you or to warn you as my beloved children. He says, you're my kids. Why could Paul say that? Well, Paul founded the church at Corinth. He started that church. And those people to whom he is writing came to Christ under Paul's ministry. And since he founded the church, they came to Christ under his ministry. He felt like they were his children, his kids in Christ, if you will. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish, to warn you as my beloved children. That word admonish is the same word used to describe a parent uh, calling out a child. So to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. I have been blessed to have a couple of men who have just poured into me. And incidentally, when I say spiritual dads, it uh, could mean spiritual moms too. We could simply call it spiritual mentors. But I've had a couple of men who poured into me, and about 15 years ago, one of those men, God used him tremendously in my life. I met with him every single week for a year. And during that year, he just invested in me, and he taught me the gospel, and he taught me about grace, and he poured into me, and week after week after week, I would go sit down with Paul Aldergan, Paul Pastors, the Missionary and Christian, uh, Christian and Missionary Alliance Church here in Marion. And I would sit with Pastor Paul week after week after week after week after week. I couldn't wait to get there to hear what God wanted to say to me through that godly man. And the wisdom that he poured into me and the grace that he uh, poured into me and the truth that was mixed with that grace completely shaped and formed my life. Completely shaped and formed my philosophy of ministry. How God used Pastor Paul was absolutely tremendous. And since then, I've had that same desire. God, whoever it is, you use me in their life in whatever capacity I can be used so that your name and that your fame may spread and that glory may come to you as you raise up young men and young women to serve you. And so it is. Spiritual dads discreetly warn. On more than one occasion, I've sat in Paul's office uh, uh, thinking through something, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say in a certain situation, only for him to say, now, Terry, listen up. You see, because I, I kind of act first and think second. Many of you who've known me for a long time know that sometimes I just get pretty carried away about some things. And Paul would say, Jerry, just listen, just listen. Uh, He did it so wonderfully, discreetly. Secondly, spiritual dads faithfully model. Look at verse 15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ, Jesus, through the gospel. Now this word "god" is actually a technical term. It is a technical term which refers to a person who was typically a slave that someone would hire, and they would hire this, this slave. They became like a member of the family in Roman times, but they would hire this slave to work with their children. And and the slave would make sure that the kids get up on time, get to school on time, get home on time, get their work done. This would have been an articulate person. Not the context that we think of slavery in the United States, but it was a different system. And so that was considered to be a guide or a tutor, a guardian. Paul says you have many of those, but you only have one dad. And that was the case. You may, your tutors in your family may come and go, but you had one dad who hired, fired those tutors. And Paul is saying you have many gods. He's not denigrating those teachers who are now in Corinth, but he's saying only one father. As a matter of fact, the word he uses for father, or or where he says, I became your father literally means I gave you birth. That's the word in Greek. I gave you birth. He's saying, I'm the one who preached the gospel. Now, what did he give them birth into? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That is a powerful statement because Paul is saying, inherent in the gospel itself is power. You simply have to communicate it and its power. So that brings us to the question, what is the gospel? If the gospel itself is powerful, if the words of the gospel themselves are inherently powerful, then it would be our uh, duty and delight to know what those are. Here is the gospel. I've said this many times here. The gospel is that you are, and I are so sinful that Jesus had to die for us and so loved that he was glad to die for us. That's the gospel. We are so sinful that Jesus had to die for us. There was absolutely no other way but for God to send his only son, Christ, perfect Christ, we are so sinful he had to die for us, but we are so loved he was glad to die for us. And so when you come to faith in Christ, you do so by admitting your utter sinfulness, the wreck you've made of your life, and the grace of God through Christ, and the love that he pours out on you that he would want to save you. That's the gospel. And Paul says, I became your father through the gospel. That's what happened. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's a heady phrase. When you look at somebody and you say, hey, do what I do, that's a significant, a significant thing to say. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Now, did Paul think himself perfect? No. As a matter of fact, in one place, he calls himself what? The chief of sinners. So he says, I'm the chief among sinners. How can he say, uh, imitate me? His passion, his desire for God. It's not perfection, and I think we need to hear this this morning. It is consistency in our walk that matters. Folks can imitate a consistent walk with God. If you happen to be perfect, let's say you could pull that off. What would that do to everybody around you? Only create frustration in them because they could not rise to the level of your perfection. And so it isn't saying, okay, I'm perfect, I've figured everything out. No, you are to to follow spiritual mentors, not because of their perfection, but because of their consistent, daily, weekly walk with the Lord. I urge you then, be imitators of me. He says, that is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul, in writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 .2 says this, and what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul is saying, I'm not with you in Corinth, but I'm sending another son. I've got another son in the faith. His name is Timothy. I love him like my own kid. I'm sending him to you. I'm sending him to you. Spiritual dads faithfully model ways, means behavior, and taught. Paul says as I teach them in every church, meaning I've got one message Everywhere I go, this is the message I preach. Everywhere I go, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, how does this play out? Let me uh, talk about this practically. And dads, I want you to listen to me first and foremost. So dads, listen up. Uh, next, uh, next month, we're going to do a four-part series called Man Up to Men. And, and women, you could come to But uh, we're going to be preaching directly to men about the responsibility that we have, that God in his design has laid on us as men to be spiritual leaders in our home and to really love our wives like Christ loved the church and help our children to grow. Uh, The first place to be a spiritual dad is in your own home. That's your first place. That's your first priority. Your children ought to be able to look at you, dad, and discover in you the love and the grace of Christ. They ought to be able to see in you uh, the uh, passion for Jesus Christ that you want modeled in them. They will look to you first. They will naturally look to you first. And so they ought to be able to see that in you. And honestly, I've had times where I have succeeded at that, and I've had times where I've failed at that. And the men in the room say, What? Amen. We have times where we're just really good and we get it right. And then there are times where I really blow it. All right, so I'll give you one of each. One of each. My son thought that his dog needed a doghouse. All right, so he thought his dog needed a doghouse. And in his mind, and those of you who know me, know my limitations, he thought I could build it. All right, so he assumed I could build this doghouse. Well, it's one of those things where I don't know if it's just in you, you keep trying, thinking maybe you'll get it right one day. So I thought, I'll try to build this dog a doghouse. Well, there's a couple of problems. First of all, I don't like the dog. All right? I mean, I just don't like his dog. I, I don't like this dog at all. Like, I don't. You know, the only reason that I care anything for the dog is because I love my son. I, I'm serious. It's, it's really bad. And so, so we're building this dog house, and I'm tired, and I've had a a full day, it was last Saturday, and we're building, and, we're, and, and it just, it, I got the frame built, and I looked at that thing, and it was so out of square, it was horrible. And I'm thinking, this is just a little doghouse. How can I mess this up this bad? And I looked at Trent, and I said, Trent, look at this, how out of square. He said, Dad, it's for Gideon. I don't think he cares. <laughs> I said, but Trent, I care. He said, Dad, get over it. It's for a dog, and I'm like, son, we can't even get a roof on this thing. I mean, look at this, and we'll have to cut the boards so weird just to get them on. And so he's like, Dad, come on. And so we're back and forth and back and forth. And guess what? I lost my cool. Right. I'm doing this. I'm doing, and I'm just, and I'm trying to get it fixed. And I'm tired, and I'm hungry, but I'm too, I don't know, crazy to stop and eat. And I'm just like barreling down. And I just want to rest, and it's all of this. And I'm hammering. and I'm doing all this, and finally I look at Trent. I said, "I hate your dog." I just hate your dog. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, "Dad, hate is a strong word." And then I realized, calm down, Jerry. It's just a doghouse, all right? And so I said, you're right, son. So the next day, on a Sunday, after I preached, I uh, apologized to Trent on the way home from church. He said, Dad, you are hilarious when you get like that. It was just kind of fun to watch. And uh, I said, no, 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 son. I should not act that way. Like, I really shouldn't. And he looked at me, and he said, and hate is a strong word. He reminded me of that again. And so... Uh, that's where, I, that's where I've missed it. Like, I've just missed it. Where I've tried to get it right, as many of you know, Trent has had multiple surgeries. All right, multiple. Nine or ten. We've lost count. And so this week, we go back to the doctor again, and they've all been on one ear, and we've said, God, just let his right ear be good. And this week, we get the bad news that the very thing in his left ear is now in his right ear. Ah. Oh. And so we get that, and then surgery is scheduled for that right here. But the doubly bad news is we're sitting in the, we have a brand new doctor in Chapel Hill, and we're sitting there. He's a great doctor. We've had one visit with him, and he looks at us, and he says, I've accepted a job at Ohio State. And I thought, oh, are you kidding me? And so I tried to just like keep my cool and it just you know keep my head about me and uh, and he said I'm going to refer you to another doctor. He did that uh, before the day was out. We had we have surgery scheduled with a doctor we've never met. We'll meet that doctor the day before she does surgery on Trent. And all of that is just crazy. And so we walk out of the doctor's office. I'm just thinking I'm doing well. We get in the Jeep and Trent looks over at me. We're sitting there just trying to figure out what we're going to do. He's 11. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do because we're going to meet some friends in a little while. So we got a little bit of time and he looks over at me and he says, dad, I said, yeah. He said, "Um, you know, God has a reason for us having a new doctor, don't you? I said, yes, son. And he said, there's something that we can't quite figure out right now. So what we have to do is trust him until we find out. I was like, okay, I'll go with that. (laughs) I'm sitting there going, I can't believe this. And I so want him to get that and not last Saturday. Like, there's a contrast. Forget last Saturday happened, and here is God at work in his life. Your number one responsibility, Dad, is to be the spiritual dad to your own children That is your number one responsibility to love their mother and to love them. And moms, it's your responsibility too. You're not off the hook here. That's not my point. My point is that our kids are dying for dads to be this and to do this. Our kids are dying for that. They want to hear you talk about God. They want to hear you talk about spiritual things. They want to know where you struggle. They want to know when you get it right and when you get it wrong and how you fix it when you get it wrong. They need to see who you really are. And so this is what spiritual dads do. They faithfully model. Paul says you have many gods. You have one dad. I would say that about your kids. They have many gods. As a matter of fact, this is hilarious. We were driving down the road yesterday, and Trent, one of his buddies, was with us, So we're driving down the road. I shared this with my Bible Fellowship class, and I'm looking for Janet Bryan, and I can't find her. So I'm thinking she was afraid I would tell this to everybody this morning. But uh, Janet has taught Trent for a couple of years. He loves her. And so uh, uh, we're driving down the road, and this song comes on. Trent has turned the radio on. I never turned the radio on. He's turned it on, and this song comes on. And he looks over at me, and he says, you know what, Dad? And I said, what? He says, Janet said, if it ain't Christian, it's a sin. I said, what? He said, Janet said, if you listen to music that isn't Christian music, then it is a sin. I said, well, wow. Wow. Is that for sure? I said, "Well, Trent, you know, surely if music doesn't glorify God, it is a sin." And 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 some music glorifies uh, violence, and glorifies sex, and glorifies, and we go through all of this all of this kind of stuff. And then I wanted to look over him and say, "Listen, son, you have many gods, but one one Father." But I didn't say that. So I talked to Janet this morning, and Janet was rolling. She said, "I never ever said that." And then she gave me the context. What is Paul's point here? Here's Paul's point. is that there is one person in your life who has had the most spiritual influence in your life. You know who it is when I say that, hopefully. If you don't, you want somebody to be that person. But then there are other people who God has used, like Janet and Trent's life, just to shape and form. There are so many of you that God has used in Hannah and Trent's life, my children's lives, in remarkable ways here's a question I have for you to whom are you either number one a spiritual mentor or number two a god? to whom are you either a spiritual mentor or a god? who is it that takes their cues from you in their walk with the Lord there ought to be somebody and so that's what Paul is saying spiritual mentors spiritual dads faithfully model finally spiritual dads firmly disciplined look at verse 18 he says some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you so you've got these people who are causing trouble he calls them out by name incidentally at the end of this letter by name He mentions them. He gives a list of them by name. Some of you are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people but their power. I love that. What is Paul saying? Do you know what he's saying? Talk is cheap. Talk is really, really cheap. Do you know what? The proof of the pudding is in the eating Or you could say you make a good pudding, but let somebody taste that stuff. And and that's the proof. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, they can talk all they want, but talk is cheap. I'll find out when I get there. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Paul is saying, I got a choice when I come to you. What's he saying? Well, daddy's coming. All right, some of you are saying daddy's not coming, but guess what? You can keep saying wait till daddy gets here because he's on his way. (laughs) Here is the real question. When daddy comes, do you want me to bring a rod to whip you or do you want me to bring a spirit of gentleness? Now here's the reality and we need to hear this. Both of those are in love. Both of those are in love So let me seg off for a moment and talk about parenting, just straight-up parenting. If you think that you will never disappoint your children as a parent, you will never parent them. If you think that it is your job to be your teenager's friend, they will lose the most important relationship in their lives outside of Christ, it is fine for them not to like you at points. As a matter of fact, if you make it through parenting and your kids don't like you, at some point you have not effectively parented them because you will take their cell phones at times and they will think you have devastated their lives. Right? Good. I cannot believe that you would take something like that from me. You will make decisions at times that they will think are asinine, that they will think are ridiculous, that you're so old-fashioned, you're so old-school. If you are never old-school to your parents, you've, to your children, you've not parented them. You will disappoint them. You will disturb them. You will at times in your discipline call them to task in ways that as they get older will cause them to question some of the very fiber of your relationship. If that does not happen, you aren't parenting. Paul says, I have a choice. I can come to you with a rod or I can come to you with love and gentleness, both of which are good parenting. At times, you've got to be firm. At times, you've got to be loving. It takes wisdom to know which is which. But both are absolutely essential as parents. That's what Paul is saying. All right, let's take that and let's move it over into spiritual relationships. If you spiritually mentor anyone, at times they'll blow it at times they'll fail. At times you will have to look at them and say hard things to them that they don't want to hear right then. If they can't take that from you, they're not teachable. And it doesn't matter how old anyone gets. He or she needs to be teachable. Willing to learn. Spiritual dads firmly disciplined. Firmly disciplined. Interesting study done, incidentally. This is the result of discipline. Japanese students always score higher on math, student, uh, on math than American students. Statistically, across the board, Japanese students always score Higher. And the common thought has been for many years, they're just what? Smarter. Yeah, some of you said it. They're just smarter. But a study was done, and it had nothing to do with math. They gave American students, a large study, American students and Japanese students some problems to solve. Just problems to solve. Basic problem-solving test. Here's what they discovered that the American student would spend an average of nine minutes and some change, about nine and a half minutes, until they gave up if they couldn't figure it out. The Japanese student would spend 13 minutes and some change before they would give up if they couldn't figure it out. What is the conclusion of the study? The issue isn't aptitude. It is attitude. The issue isn't the brain. It is the ability to persevere. The issue could be work ethic. It could be academic laziness. It could be the inability to finish because I simply get tired and don't. Do you know what discipline does? It increases that perseverance, does it not? And when you spiritually mentor somebody, there will be times when you'll look at them and say, "Uh "Uh, listen to yourself. Think about what you are about to do. Think about the step you are about to take. If you're unwilling to hear that, it will stunt your growth in Christ. If you're unwilling to hear the hard things from somebody, then if you have been growing like this, all of a sudden, you'll plateau. And some of you are there right now. You sit here this morning, and your spiritual growth has stopped. Like if you, look, and here's, here's a great way to do it. If you gauge your life from this July to last July, are you closer to God or farther away? Do you love him more or love him less? Are you more in his word or less in his word? Do you love your wife and husband more or less? Where are you? Those marks in our lives ought to bring us to that place of knowing. Two experiences that I thoroughly enjoy one recent, one has been ongoing, is on Wednesdays at 4 o'clock. I meet with four guys. And these four guys I meet with, I love as my sons in the faith. God has privileged me to have great influence in every one of their walks with the Lord. Every one of them has come either to faith in Christ uh, through the ministry of this church or come back to Christ through the ministry of this church. And so on Wednesdays, I sit in my office and I anticipate and look forward to hanging out with them and hearing how their week has gone and talking about what it means for them to know Christ in their current situation. It is a true joy. It is a great privilege that I have. And do you know what it does for me? It's really easy as a pastor to get uh, caught up in all of the leadership details of this church and all of the vision casting that I love to do and all of that and lose sight of what God has called us as a church to do, which is to make disciples. It's so easy to do that. But when every Wednesday I sit down with these guys, oh, wow. All of a sudden, all over again, I'm reminded this is what God has called me to do. I love it. I love them. I love what God is doing in their lives. I love it. The other situation happened just a few weeks ago. I shared a little bit of it with you. I was uh, filling in and helping in one of our backyard Bible clubs in Cross Mill. We had gone door to door, knocking on doors, inviting kids to come and hang out in that little park down there and we play games with them and serve them something to eat, and share scripture with them. And it was this group's first day, if you recall, I shared this a few weeks ago, and they came, some kind of wires got crossed and they had prepared nothing absolutely nothing. They had nothing prepared, nothing to teach, no games to play, no crafts to do, no songs to sing, absolutely nothing. And here we sat and I thought, what do we do? Well, I have been so many places in this country doing that stuff. I sat there And it came time for the Bible story. And there were about six kids who sat in front of me. And I began to tell the story of Zacchaeus to kids who had never heard it in their lives. They had never heard the story of that wee little man who climbed up in that tree for the Savior he wanted to see. We know that so well. They had never heard the story. And I watched them, 5th and 6th graders, hang on like, like it was just a movie unfolding in front of them. And the questions they had, that just reinvigorated, God, this is what you've called me to do. So I have two questions for you this morning, if you'll get your connection card. The first question It's for any of you who say, okay, Jerry, this is what's happened. I've come to faith in Christ recently, or I've come back to Christ, or I just have never had a spiritual mentor, and I want one. There's a place on that card for you to check that says, I need a spiritual mentor. And if you do, we want to know. You say, I need that. Jerry, I just need somebody to answer some questions that are confusing to me to help me in the next stage of my walk with the Lord. I need a spiritual mentor. Then there's a place for some of you who are spiritually where you need to be to do this, and you are not currently investing in anybody in their walk with the Lord, and you've got the time, You're not teaching Bible fellowship. If you're already doing this, don't sign up. But but you could say, okay, Jerry, I can be one. I'll do this. I'll take the time and I'll invest in a small group or I'll invest one-on-one and I'll help somebody grow in their walk with God. I'll help somebody mature in their walk with God. Uh, As a a mom, I'll pour into a younger mom. As a dad, I'll pour into a younger dad. I'll pour into, I'll invest in a single person uh, as he or she is, is navigating his or her singleness. I'll do this. I will be a spiritual mentor. Whichever of those is fitting for you, Sign up for. And then we'll do our part here to pair you with somebody that can help you grow and mature and become who God wants you to be. And then I would say, there are those of you who may have heard this many, many times. Paul says in here, he uses this interesting word. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to what? Remind you. Do you know what? For most of us, our problem isn't that we need to learn anything new. Are you listening? We need to be reminded of what we already know. For most of us, it's not a need to dive down deeper and to discover some hidden truth. It is not a need to plumb the depths or the heights of fantastic things. It isn't that. We mostly need to be reminded of what we already know. And some of you may have heard before, but never has it hit your heart like today that you are so sinful that Jesus had to die for you and so loved that he was glad to. And all of a sudden today when you hear that, there is a a Holy Spirit working inside of you saying, I've tried to do this myself. I need to trust Christ as my Savior. How do I do that? Would you bow your heads? To trust Christ as your Savior, as our praise team comes, to trust Christ as your Savior is to do this. It's to admit your sinfulness. That you desperately need him because you are desperately sinful. It is to believe his love for you that even though you are desperately sinful, he is endlessly loving. And when he died on the cross, for the joy set before him, he endured it, and you were the joy. You were the motivation. As he looked down through time to July of 2014 2014, and knew that you would hear the gospel. And some of you, for the first time in your life today, need to admit your sin, believe Jesus loved you that much, and receive his forgiveness.